Coming up on this episode, the Golden State Warriors will hold workouts with six free agents over the next two weeks. So which ones are there for the fun of it and which ones are a genuine chance to make next season's roster? That's coming up. Yes, welcome back to the Golden State with Mates podcast. Uh, last 48 hours, we had Sham Sharania of The Athletic reporting that the Warriors will hold workouts with six free agents over the next fortnight. They are Dion Waiters, Tony Snell, Trey Burke, Juan Toscano Anderson and Kent Bazemore, a couple of former Warriors, and Harry Giles the third as well. So if your initial reaction to this was, oh, what a trash group of players, I don't particularly blame you. This is just not a uh, a group of high-profile names, that's for sure. And it really comes down to, before we get into these players individually, it really comes down to what you actually think of the Warriors' vacant 14th roster spot. And there's got to be some perspective here. First of all, if I had to bet yes or no right now, will one of these players be on the main roster next season? I would probably bet no, to be honest. And things may change a little bit in terms of Harry Giles the third and a potential two-way contract, but we'll we'll get into that. The other thing is how much do you actually value the 14th roster spot? Because a lot of people will think, oh, it's the 14th roster spot, won't be in the rotation anyway, anyway, who the hell cares? Other people will think, well, hang on, this is a pretty old group. A lot of veteran players, Clay Thompson, Draymond Green, Steph Curry, Chris Paul, all 33 years of age or older. You need to maximize every roster spot you have available. I think the truth is some, and the reality is somewhere in the middle. So I don't think they necessarily need to go out and get someone who's going to push for rotation minutes, but they do need insurance, and particularly in the front court, whether that's either forward position or at center. If you go back to last season, the Warriors signed Andre Iguodala at the start of October. That was their 14th roster spot, and then obviously they used Anthony Lamb, converted his two-way to a standard contract in March or April, whatever it was. Anyway, the Iguodala thing, it wasn't it wasn't an Iguodala issue. Right now, would we have liked him to be on the floor for more than seven games last season? Absolutely. However, there had to be some understanding here that, hey, this guy's not going to play much at this point of his career, 39 years old, nearly 20 years in the league. There's going to be some injury issues here. So Iggy was always more about the off-court, the cultural stuff, than I think he was the on-court, although we would have liked to see him more, obviously, on the floor. The big issue with that signing was the fact that the Warriors also had five players in their first to fourth seasons and put huge weight and expectation on those guys. So a couple of rookies, Ryan Rollins, Patrick Baldwin Jr., there, there weren't expectations on them. They were never going to do anything, and they didn't do anything, really. Although PBJ, many argued, should have got more minutes throughout the kind of January period where the Warriors were dealing with some injuries. You had two second-year guys, Moses Moody and Jonathan Kaminga, who the Warriors did place expectations on to come in, fill bench minutes, fill roles, and that just didn't eventuate for the first portion of the season. Now, JK, obviously ended up being one of the more exciting elements of the regular season and did find a role, and that was fine. Moody, more so later in the season, then obviously kind of out of nowhere, saw some meaningful playoff minutes as well. Then you had a third-year guy in Wiseman who was practically a rookie and just was an absolute nightmare disaster in the end to the point that he got traded at February's trade deadline. And then you had Jordan Poole, who was probably unfair to place him in this same 
a group of five players because he was a meaningful part of the 2022 championship team. He was your sixth man. He was a guy that before the season you gave a 120 plus million dollar contract to. But still, inexperienced young player, right? Five first or fourth year players. So signing, it wasn't about signing Andre Iguodala. It was the fact you signed a guy that probably you weren't going to be able to rely upon on a consistent basis as someone behind five first to fourth year players. And particularly, the big one for me, and I'm not trying to single him out at all, but Ryan Rollins should not have been at the Warriors last year. He, they just shouldn't have acquired the right. Like they paid cash for him at the draft in 2022. Just shouldn't, should have never have happened. Should never have that, that contract, that roster spot should have gone to a veteran who could play minutes last season. So that was the issue. It wasn't necessarily the Iguodala thing. It was what happened before that. This season's a little bit different with the 14th roster spot because you've got Trace Jackson Davis and you've got um, Brandon Pajemski. They're your two rookies, which you're always, you're always going to have. That's fine. Jackson Davis is 23, so theoretically should be able to actually have a little bit more impact than what Rollins and PBJ were last season as rookies. And then you've got Kaminga and Moody, who I think, we're all a little bit more confident this year that they'll be able to fill roles than we were 12 months ago. Although most people were confident last season, going into last season, that they would able, be able to find minutes. But there's not as many young players now. You obviously trade pool out and the kind of inconsistency that he brought that, you know, that happens for young players. You trade him out and you bring Chris Paul in. So there's not that kind of young core of players that there was last season, where last season you probably needed to use the 14th roster spot on a guy who. Could, was realistically going to play more than Iggy was ever going to be able to. As I said, this season a little bit different. I think they can more look at guys who are a cultural fits and not necessarily going to be part of the rotation, but can be insurance in case of injury, foul trouble, all that kind of stuff. So let's go through the kind of six players here, rank them from from one to six. We'll start at the bottom, right? So it's from six up, or six down, I should say. Trey Burke, it's, I'm going I'm to kind of pair Trey Burke and Dion Waiters here together because they're similar kind of players as kind of spark plug bench options that a little bit of a playmaking element, but more bucket getters, right, over the course of their career. Both players are fairly experienced. I think they've both had nine years in the league, uh, but haven't played for a couple. In, in the case of Waiters, hasn't got an opportunity since the, the bubble run with the Lakers in 2020, and then Trey Burke played with the Mavericks in 2021-22. So first of all, Burke, a six-foot score first point guard. The Warriors just don't need that kind of player. So he played with the Stockton Kings in the G League last season, averaged 15.5 points, but 41.5% shooting really isn't standing out. 42.4% from three-point range is, but what is he going to be a catch-and-shoot option? Option like That's not what you want when he's also six-foot tall and he's going to be picked on on defense on the other side of the ball. He recorded a positive plus-minus, had a good assist-to-turnover ratio. So he's a very good G League player. And I actually, if I was another team and I just wanted a spark plug off the bench, bucket getter, I could probably talk myself into him. And the Warriors, to an extent, obviously losing pool and bringing in the playmaking element of, of Chris Paul, they could probably do with some more scoring off the bench. But I think that's where Kaminga is going to come into play. I think that's where Moody can hopefully come into play a little bit. Dario Saric as well, who's a guy that can... Uh, with his offensive versatility, can obviously play make a little bit, but also can step out, shoot the three, pick and pop game with CP. 
um, on the roll, that kind of stuff. So I don't think their their scoring element off the bench is going to be a bigger issue as what many are making out to be with the loss of Paul, who obviously with the loss of Paul, sorry, who obviously uh, averaged over twenty points per game last season. So Trey Burke, I I think teams could you know talk themselves into him. I don't think the Warriors will because at the end of the day, if you're getting down and you're having to give Trey Burke meaningful minutes next season, then I think you're in a position where you're in a bit of a bit of a massive hole. <laughs> and at that point, if you do not have Steph Curry and you don't have Chris Paul and you don't have Corey Joseph, then really you should just be giving those minutes to Brandon Pajemski or Lester Kinonez. There's no need in that situation to be giving Trey Burke minutes because if he, as I said, if he is or was to get meaningful minutes on this Warrior roster next season, it's fair to say that the Warriors in are in deep crap, let's put it that way. So uh, a lot of the same stuff I just mentioned here with Burke can be transferred to Dion Waiters as well. He's always been an inefficient scorer. Like He's been a talented scorer. He's more credentialed player than Burke. He's averaged double digits in scoring on seven different occasions, and he's actually averaged over 28 minutes per game across the course of his career. Obviously, started out in Cleveland, OKC. Miami was probably his major stint, although he was part of that 2016 Western Conference Finals team. With uh, with the Thunder, so yes, he can put up points, but they're largely inefficient. Shot forty one point two percent from the floor and thirty four point six percent from three point range across his career. Defense has never been a strong facet for him either. He's never recorded a, pox, a positive defensive box plus minus, according to Basketball Reference. So again, like Burke. Teams could talk, talk themselves into him if he actually displays an ability to be a, a bucket getter and a spark plug off the bench. But again, not the kind of player worry, the Warriors need. And if it got down to it, then you're better giving those minutes to Bajemski and Kinonia's blokes who can actually develop into meaningful NBA players rather than veterans who are kind of over the hill uh, and and really just looking for a spot in the league when it's probably not going to be coming. Like I'd be surprised if Waiters. And uh, and Burke got picked up ahead of ahead of next season by any team, let alone the Warriors. The next couple here, so I, I've grouped though, as I said, I've grouped those two in Waiters and Burke together because they're similar kind of players and what they could bring to the table. The next two are fairly similar as well. So Kent Bazemore and Tony Snell, although I would much prefer Tony Snell. So four on the list is Bazemore. Obviously, he's got the added element of having experience within. The Warriors system um, was undrafted in 2012, started his career with the Warriors, played 105 games, didn't play anything major in terms of minutes before being traded to the Lakers in February 2014, uh, returned as a free agent. To be fair, like Kent Bazemore had a really good career. He was a really uh, big part of a couple of you know, pretty solid quality Atlanta teams. Returned in the 2020 offseason and actually became a key rotation member for Steve Kerr over that 2020 21 season and look he was solid on the surface if you look at his box score numbers he shot a career high 40.8 percent from three-point range playing off Steph Curry obviously who was at an MVP caliber that season uh, or close enough to it obviously didn't didn't win MVP but a lot of people think he he might have he probably should have gone close or did go close he probably should have won it uh, he averaged 7.2 points, 3.4 rebounds in nearly 20 minutes per game. He was part of the uh, rotation at the end of the season. He was actually start, a starter once Kelly Oubre Jr. went out injured. He um, was a, a pretty big part of that 15-5 and five team uh, across the last 20 games of the regular season, which really 
kind of showed the the league that the Warriors were back in a way that they could kind of reproduce and reestablish their style of play that they want to. And that actually, I think, was an underrated aspect into then playing into the start of the following season where they started 18-2, and two. even though obviously we know what happened in the play-in tournament 2021. They lose to the Lakers in a, a close-fought uh, game there and then lose at home to the Grizzlies, don't end up making the playoffs. It is what it is. I don't think the uh, Warrior fans or the front office were, or anything were too concerned with the fact Baysmore departed that offseason for the Lakers simply because while the box score numbers look, um, looked good, I think Warrior fans will remember the kind of frustration that he brought to them while you know he did shoot some open threes and make 40% of them. There were a lot of also ill-advised shots. There were some boneheaded turnovers. There was some dumb... Um, defensive lapses which hurt at critical times so as I said I don't think the Warriors were too concerned with losing him after that season and I don't think they're going to be too interested in bringing them bringing him back however um, he's got a close relationship with Steph Curry he has obviously as I said experience within the Warriors system I just don't think that he's the kind of player at this point he's 34 years old he's well over the hill well past his prime and I don't see him being able to revitalize his career in any way even if it was to be in Golden State where he's had some success uh, well he's probably most recent success because that Lakers season he was um, pretty pretty trash let's put it that way so moving on Tony Snell a couple of numbers here for Tony Snell he's a, he's a funny funny player one of, one of the weirdest kind of players over the last decade to me because he's always been incredibly efficient like, he shoots 39.4% um, from deep for his career, which is really good. He's had a 50-40-90 season with the Hawks in 2020-21, which he's, he's also come close to being a 50-40-90 guy on other seasons as well. Best season came um, probably with the Bucks in 2016-17, average 8.5 points and 3.1 rebounds as a starter there for the whole season. So he's been a, a quality player, but it's always been on low volume. With him, like he's, I don't think he's ever averaged double-digit points. And so, if you could try and find a way to actually get him to 10, 12 points a game while retaining the efficiency that he does, that combined, you know, six six, he's got a solid frame, um, can be a decent perimeter defender. He's actually, I can see the the worth in Tony Snell, which is why I have him well above Baysmore and Waiters and Burke. He played in the G League last season um, with the Celtics G League affiliate team. Averaged 10.8 points, 5.9 rebounds, 2.2 assists. Shot 43.2% from the field and 39.2% from three-point range. Obviously, pretty similar numbers to his whole NBA career, really. Um, a little bit more volume there, I guess, with the 10.8 points, which he's never done in the NBA. I, I do see the worth in him. I think the Warriors could um, do with another 3 and D kind of small forward although I do think that that role is probably penciled in for Moses Moody and if Tony Snell comes in and he's needing minutes over Moses Moody then I think that's probably tells you uh, where Moody's at with his development that would be a pretty big sign um, of disappointment really for him so again Tony Snell I can see the worth particularly in that kind of player I just don't think that uh, he's a player that's, again, is he going to get his way back in the league? I, I just doubt it at this point. Like, all these guys, bar one, have didn't play at all last season and have had multiple years now out of the league. So it's going to be, it's a hard point when you're a veteran player. Again, all these guys are at least 30 years old, bar one. 
it's pretty hard once you've been out of the league for a year or two to make it back, um, especially when when you weren't a huge name um, superstar to begin with. Like these are all role players in the NBA across the course of their career. So number two here is Harry Giles. The third uh, has to be. He's got a couple of different elements here, which makes him stand out compared to the other five options. The fact that he's a centre, for starters, which is a big worry need. You know, I've been on it for weeks that they need some kind of backup for Kevon Looney. Now, I don't think Harry Giles, the third, is necessarily that guy, but it sounds like the, the franchise isn't too interested in any of the, of the options for a 14th roster spot right now. So the fact that he's eligible for a two-way contract, having only played three years in the league, that's the, the big thing for Harry Giles, the third here, which I think could um, give him an opportunity to have a, a prolonged stint with the franchise. So obviously for all these guys, if they have good workouts, they'll be invited back for multiple workouts, and then they can earn themselves a training camp deal. Come the preseason, Warriors have got five pre- um, five scheduled preseason games and really fight for um, what still might be the vacant 14th roster spot, and in the case of Giles as well, a two-way contract. Uh, I, I've spoken about it previously. I don't think he's worth using the 14th roster spot on. He's just too unproven uh, at this point. And uh, I, I do think that if he was to be at the Warriors, then it would be as a two-way contract, which I can get behind. Right, It's a two-way contract. It's a young player. Um, he's at least got three years of experience, so there's the theoretical chance of him uh, playing minutes next season, a little bit like Ty Jerome, although Ty Jerome is probably more proven in the league than what... Harry Giles, the 30s now. He's played 142 NBA games over his three seasons, averaging 5.6 points, 3.8 rebounds, and 1.2 assists in 12.9 minutes. Last played for the Portland Trailblazers in 2019-20, I think. So it's been a couple of years for, or might have been 2021. I'd have to double-check that. Anyway, he played, obviously got drafted. He got drafted by the Blazers, who traded his rights to the Kings, played a couple of years with the Kings, and then obviously at the Blazers after that. So, again, two-way contract, yes. 14th roster spot, no, for Harry Giles, the third. And number one on the list, again, it's not a great list, let's be honest, but, again, the 14th roster spot, you want a guy who's a really good cultural fit, and there's no doubt that the Warriors lost something in that regard when Juan Toscano-Anderson departed for the Lakers last offseason. So we know who, who Juan Toscano-Anderson is. We know what he brings to the table. Again, I think he's I think he's a perfect fit because I've said it, uh, previously, that the Warriors need, need they obviously need front court depth, and if it's not a centre, they need a guy who can play the three or the four. But they also need a guy who's not going to demand minutes over Jonathan Kaminga, and that's the issue with some of these more high profile, bigger name, uh, small forward, power forward for agents. So you talk about your Kelly Oubre juniors, who the Warriors aren't going to bring back, but just that's a name. Um, even a Rudy Gay, who's now going to be available after getting waived by the the OKC Thunder, like that guy, that kind of caliber of player could come in and say, "Look, I really want to play 15, 20 minutes." And for the Warriors, that's a, a situation where they should probably say, "No, we believe in Jonathan Kaminga. We want him to have a full runway here to develop." And you don't want a guy coming in that's one going to potentially stall his development, but two. Um, bring chemistry issues when they're not actually playing and they're out of the rotation and they're kind of pouting because of that. JTA is not going to bring any of those issues. He's not going to demand minutes ahead of Jonathan Kaminga, although there was a time, sorry, there was a time in 2021-22 
where um, JTA was actually getting minutes over JK, who was obviously in his rookie season. And I, I, I vividly remember getting frustrated. That I'm sure a lot of fans uh, remember getting frustrated. That element, Kaminga kind of went past him as the season progressed. But JTA is a guy that's going to, to bring those vibes, hopefully, back to the Warriors that were missing so much last season. And I think the departure of him and Gary Payton II really affected that. And then, obviously, what happened in training camp, which has been well-documented. You know what I'm talking about there. Is he going to be a guy who you're going to be putting, who Steve Kerr is going to be putting out on the floor on a regular basis? No, I don't think so. However, I don't think that you... I, I do think that you can put him out there for five, ten minutes every so often when there is a couple of, you know, whenever Draymond is out resting one night or uh, he's in foul trouble or something like that. And JTA is a guy I think that you can put out there for five, ten minutes here and there, and I don't think it's going to be an absolute disaster. He's got an experience in the Warrior system. He's um, a willing passer. He knows how to get the ball to Steph Curry and Clay Thompson. So I do think out, out of this six group, I think he's clearly the best option, at least on that 14th roster spot. Now, um, if they don't pick JTA, then, I, again, I'd be happy with them having Giles as a two-way contract. But I'd be disappointed if it was anyone but JTA. And I don't think JTA is an exciting option by any means. No one here on this list is an exciting option. But I do think that at least he brings a cultural fit. He brings an experience with the Warriors. And he brings some insurance where I don't think he's going to be a complete disaster in you know if he plays five, ten minutes here and there. He did shoot, I think he shot under 20% from three-point range last season. That's been the big thing that's kind of fell off for JTA. Going back to that 2020-21 season, um, where I think he played 53 games or something like that, he got converted to a standard contract from a two-way, and part of that was because I think he was shooting high 30%, um, close to 40% from three-point range. That has completely dropped off. As I said, I think he was close to under 20. I know he was under 20 in his stint with the Jazz towards the end of last season after he got traded by the Lakers. So that's the thing that he's got to try and rediscover because if you can rediscover that, like he's a um, he's athletic. He had a couple of massive dunks for the Warriors over his time, a um, couple of posters. He's not a great defender, but he'll hustle and he'll work hard defensively, which is half the battle, especially during the regular season. Uh, and he'll give his like he's got heart, and and again that's what you want in the regular season is someone that's going to go out there give 110 percent and really fight and scrap for all the minutes they can get, which is what JTA will do. Like I don't think the Warriors, I don't think JTA is going to come in and say, well I'm just not going to play. I'm here just for a cultural fit. Like he'll try and earn minutes. I just don't think he's necessarily going to be getting that over the likes of Kaminga and Moody, and I don't see him pouting about that i think he's going to be a great cultural fit if he if he was to to get picked on that uh on the roster as that 14th roster spot so that would be who i would go with the other options apart as i said apart from giles on a two-way deal i cannot see any of the other options snell makes a little bit of sense for the kind of player he is um and then bays more it's a no and waiters and burke it's a no for pretty obvious reasons i think as well but let me know what you guys think of uh these six players if you think any of the other um any anyone outside of jta should get picked up by the warriors uh, again i doubt you you think that but if you do have a difference of opinion here i'd love to hear it um so you can of course contact me at uh, poc 252 on twitter and, of course, comment on the uh, on YouTube as well where this episode will be uploaded. Other than that, guys, uh, enjoy the rest of your week. Uh, if you haven't already checked out the Eastern Conference Power Rankings that I did 
with Lee uh, late last week. We're going to be back on uh, later this weekend to do the Western Conference where we'll obviously speak a little bit more about the Warriors and see where they sit in the grand scheme of uh, of the division, obviously, and the uh, Pacific Conference. Sorry, the Pacific Conference, the Western Conference as well. I'm, do- I'm recording this episode. It's nearly 7 p.m. at night. I've had quite a long day, so... Um, apologies if there's been a few errors here, but uh, hopefully it's been a good listen. And as I said, we'll see you on the next episode. Cheers, guys.